listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. The Bible is God's Word to man, and I'm glad you can join us again for this episode of Let the Bible Speak. Today we're continuing our series of studies in 1 Timothy, and I want to read 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 3 through 5. Let's hear the Word of God. 1 Timothy 6 verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to his word today. Eternal God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the living word of the living God. We thank you the word of God is always applicable to our lives, to your experience. And we pray, O Lord, as we study it today, that you give us help, help to consider it carefully and help to apply it faithfully. Uh, We, O Lord, would not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. And so bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. False teaching has never been far from our view in these chapters. Clearly, the health of God's people depends to a very significant degree on what they are taught. It is the duty of the teaching elder, as Paul has been teaching Timothy, it is the duty of that teaching elder to teach truth, to expose error, And also, in light of verse 5 of 1 Timothy 6, to withdraw himself from false teachers. That verse ends with these words, from such withdraw thyself. Remember that these teachers had taken up positions in the church. As Paul would open his letter to Timothy, he says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There were those within the church who professed to follow Christ. Yet their teaching was such that they showed themselves to be false, false teachers. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 3, it says, If any man teach otherwise, those words teach otherwise, uh, they speak of heterodoxy. Heterodoxy is that English word that is drawn from uh, two Greek words, hetero, meaning other, and dox, referring to doctrine and teaching. And so what you have here is uh, these individuals who are teaching false doctrine, another doctrine, uh, indeed, uh, another gospel. From such, Paul tells Timothy, he is to withdraw. Verse number five again, from such withdraw thyself. Such a position of separation is often controversial. Remember, these were people within the church. They were undoubtedly sincere. They would profess to be Christians. And so, to separate from such 
would seem to many to be dividing the body of Christ. The biblical doctrine of separation is a doctrine that abides in every generation. There are always those within the professed church who are not teaching true doctrine. And the true Christian will separate themselves from the false teacher, even if they profess to be Christians, even if they are pleasant and nice and sincere. Because when you compare the true and the false, you will see why a preacher must show what is true and false, not only in his own teaching, but also in his associations. There is the need for churches and individuals to separate from others who are teaching falsehood. And I say that comes as a conclusion when there's a consideration of the true and the false in these verses. When you compare and contrast, you will see there is no other option but to withdraw yourself from false teaching. And so I want to compare true and false teaching from these verses uh, that would help us make decisions regarding our own ministry, our own association, or indeed even perhaps our own membership in a church that is teaching false doctrine. So to begin with, let's note the subject of their teaching. When you compare the subject with the true and the false, you see immediately that true doctrine is marked by what Paul calls wholesome words. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, implying that the true doctrine, it is wholesome. It is sound. That's the word that's used here. It is sound doctrine, sound words, and that word carries with it the connotation of health. These are healthy words. Sound doctrine is in focus in First and Second Timothy on several occasions. First Timothy 1 verse 10, Paul refers to things that are contrary to sound doctrine. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, Paul tells Timothy, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And then in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, he warns how the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. When you consider the words of Paul to Timothy, it helps us understand the language of verse number 3 of 1 Timothy 6. Wholesome words are words that centre on Jesus Christ. And Paul says, consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The words of our Lord speak of the words that come from Christ and that are about Christ. So true and healthy doctrine centres on the person and work of Christ and his teaching in the word. It's significant that throughout the history of the church, the attacks on the church within the church have often centred upon the person and work of Christ. There have been those that have denied his full deity. Others have denied his humanity. Many have sought to deny the atoning sacrifice he offered on the cross. There's all manner of challenges that have been placed against the person and work of Christ. Because the devil knows that when Christ is exalted, when he is taught in his fullness, that is for the well-being and for the health of the church. And so immediately, if I can make a comment as an aside, I would ask you to question your, your own church 
consider what the subject of the teaching is. Is there an emphasis on the truth regarding Jesus Christ and his person and work? Because while true doctrine is marked by wholesome words, false doctrine departs from Christ. False doctrine is this matter of teaching otherwise. It's described by Paul here as the perverse disputings of men. They dote about questions and strifes of words. Now, some of these things are hard to define. We can't uh, clearly go back 2,000 years and properly understand all that was being taught in the churches of that time. But there are some features that are interesting and we see them being repeated in every generation. The, the false teachers have a tendency to major on minor details. Their ministry is marked by imbalance and there is, as we said, a lack of emphasis on the person and work of Christ. They often focus on things that are speculative, things that cannot be known. As it says here, uh, this false teacher is proud, knowing nothing. They have a tendency to do what we might call hobby horse preaching. The word doting that is used here, doting about questions and strifes of words, uh, where doting speaks of hankering after. In other words, they have particular pet doctrines. There are things that they like to preach on at all times. And so there's a lack of teaching the whole counsel of God. Uh, sitting under their ministry, you, you get the sense that you're hearing the same things time after time. They're also people who are often controversial. They are seeking squabbles. They are looking about strife and division and disputes. And so again, these things are things that we see in all generations. The false doctrine departs from Christ. Christ leads to unity. False doctrine speculates on things that cannot be agreed on. And therefore, there is a tendency towards division. And so when it comes to the subject of true teaching, I emphasize again, there is the dominant thought that Jesus Christ came from heaven. He took to himself a true human nature, uniting a human nature with a divine nature, and he came to live a life of obedience, even unto death, the death of the cross, from which he rose again triumphant o'er the grave, and even now he ascended and sits at the right hand of God. So having thought about the subject of their teaching, what about the source of this teaching? Well, for the true man of God, the source of their teaching is the words of Jesus Christ. He is the heaven-sent prophet, and Christ's words will govern the teaching of the true man of God. Christ is the source of the word in the Old Testament and the New. To teach the words of Christ is not only to teach the words that Christ spoke in the Gospels, but it is to teach those words that Christ has inspired. He is the everlasting word. He inspired the prophets of the Old Testament, and as he sent forth his Spirit in the New, so he inspires the apostles who wrote our New Testaments. And so whilst the true man of God will teach the words of Christ, the teaching of the false prophet, the false teacher, is marked by that which comes from corrupt minds. Perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. The source of the false teacher is the arrogant mind of man. These people are proud. They know nothing. 
and they have corrupt minds. And so in essence, we must examine all teaching as to whether it comes from God or man. Now, at this point, I must make an important word of qualification, for oftentimes a false teacher will use the Bible. I've been confronted by Mormons and by uh, Russellites at several occasions, and they've sought to convince me of their false teaching, of their heresies from the Bible. Peter warns us of this. In referring to the scriptures, he says that there are some that are unlearned and unstable, and what they do, they rest the scriptures unto their own destruction. They distort the word of God. So when I say the Bible is to be the source of our teaching, it is the Bible properly interpreted. And so I urge you all to grow in your personal knowledge of the Bible and of sound doctrine. It is vital that in our churches we have older believers, mature believers, who will listen with great care to the preaching. Whilst they will receive it, they will also test it. They'll they'll be like those Bereans who search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. The Bible can be misused in the pulpit. And if you're a child of God and listening to preaching and you're, you're wondering where did the preacher get that particular doctrine or application, well, I encourage you, go to your preacher. Ask them the question, where is this found in the word of God? And make sure that you're convinced as to their argument, as to their presentation of the doctrines from the scriptures. This is important. We understand here that in this portion, sound doctrine is for the health of the people of God. And when there is false doctrine coming from our pulpits, that is to the detriment of the people of God. It is to their spiritual malnourishment and indeed it is to their spiritual malady and sickness. And so we've seen in this comparison the subject of the teaching and the source of the teaching. What about the resultant signs from the teaching? Well, once more, we're told in this verse, verse number 3 of 1 Timothy 6, that sound doctrine is according to godliness. That when there is sound doctrine, there will then be a resultant spiritual piety and holiness. The truth regarding Christ promotes a closer walk with God, a humble walk, a walk that is in obedience to the word of God. Christian ethics and Christian theology are inextricably linked. When you have good sound doctrine empowered by the spirit of God, so you will have good sound Christian living. And we've seen this many times in Paul's teaching. We know from Romans chapter 12 uh, that as Paul applies the doctrines, he applies it in terms of Christian living. We see the same in Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, emphasizing the doctrines of Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, the application of those doctrines in every area of life. So you'll often see that where there is false teaching, a lack of teaching of Christ, there will be a resultant worldliness. There'll be a love for the world and the things of the world. There will not be that sense of eternity stamped upon men's hearts. Rather, those sitting under false teaching will love the world. And so it is a point of examination. Once more, as we consider our own churches, is there this promoting of holiness as we see the people of God hearing the word of God 
and walking humbly with God. Because while the true doctrine promotes spiritual piety and holiness, the false doctrine leads to envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings. That's the list that Paul gives in verse number 4. The false teacher causes problems in the church. They cause divisions and they cause strife. True doctrine unifies true Christians. It is a falsehood of Satan that asserts that doctrine divides. True biblical doctrine unifies. It is falsehood that divides the people of God. You see, whilst preaching will expose error, its first duty is to present the positive. This is what we believe. This is what we stand for. We preach Christ and him crucified. We preach the God-man and his atoning successful sacrifice. God's people will be healthy when they receive such preaching. And indeed, they will be unified in their health. Anything else will lead to sickness in the Lord's church. Hence, we must flee from falsehood and cling to the true. And so I hope you've been convinced as we've thought about the the subject and the source and the signs of teaching, that there is no place for compromise, that the Christian and the man of God must withdraw from all manner of false teaching. And if I can convince you with one more argument, please note the supposition of these false teachers. In verse number 5, it says that they suppose that gain is godliness. What does that mean? Well, it means that the false teachers lived in the assumption that they would receive financial gain through godliness or religion. Hence, their focus was on being novel, inventive, speculative, tickling the ears, pleasing the hearers. You think of the modern phenomenon of the televangelist who will often say those things that please the hearer, the viewer, and those things that are not according to truth, and they say those things to, uh, again, tickle the ears of the hearers, and in so doing, they do it to gain financially. They seek to profit from their false ministry. You see, this little section in 1 Timothy 6 between slaves and money highlights the issue. The false teacher focuses on the temporal, and the true teacher on the eternal, the spiritual. The false teacher presumes that religion is a means to material gain. The true teacher understands that godliness with contentment is great gain, verse number 6. That godliness itself is a benefit, it is a gain. As Paul has taught in chapter 4, godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. In other words, for Paul, true piety itself is the benefit. There is no need for further financial gain. The godliness that comes from true doctrine is itself the gain. Hence, what we will see that follows are warnings against money and prosperity. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And therefore, Paul will say that those that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. So, we see here that the false teachers, even from a love of money, which is the root of all evil, 
These false teachers have erred from the truth of God. So as we we draw this program to a close today, let me just give you a number of simple lessons and reminders in response to what Paul teaches here. Let's consider some of the matters regarding a true Christian. Well, first of all, a true Christian is marked by humility. Note the false teacher is one who is proud. Christian humility is seen in a submission to the word of God. Pride is shown whenever God's word is rejected. The proud person puts himself over the word of God. The humble will live under the word of God. Well, there are so many examples of pride resulting in false doctrine. You have the concept whereby those in the modern liberal Protestant church presume that their goodness and their charity can secure righteousness before God. That is an expression of tremendous pride. For even our best of works are as filthy rags, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And so, whenever the liberal preacher announces in your ears that if you live a good life, God will be pleased with your life, you must understand that is a teaching of a proud man. That is not the teaching of the word of God. For we all are sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God and we all need a righteousness, not our own. Humility understands that the word of God teaches that salvation is by grace alone. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. In a similar fashion, all forms of sacramentalism are manifestations of pride. That grace can be dispensed through the church. That a minister or a priest can dispense grace in baptism or in communion or in some other sacrament. Such a position is again one of tremendous pride. We understand the word of God teaches that grace only comes from God. It comes from God through Christ Jesus. Not through a man, but through the God-man. The one mediator between God and man that is Christ Jesus. No, the liberal movement, they showed pride in that they thought they knew better than the Lord. The Lord Jesus himself believed in a literal Adam. Believed in a literal Jonah and the whale of the great fish. And so whenever the liberals sought to remove the historical Adam or denied the miracles of Jonah and others, well, they were showing pride that they thought they knew better than the Lord. All Christianity is marked by humility, realizing that our thoughts are not God's thoughts. God's ways are higher than ours, and we submit to the truth that comes from God and from God alone. The true Christian also will be one who values good Christian doctrine. They will greatly value the preaching of Christ. They will not be content with having their ears tickled with all manner of stories and fables and uh, moralisms, but they will want to hear the doctrine. Who is this man called Jesus? Where did he come from? What is indeed his nature, his character, his person? What did he do? Describe to me his work discuss the doctrines of the cross and the resurrection. These are things that the true Christian will desire to hear. 
And if they are not marked in the ministry of your church, you must ask some very serious questions. Because the Christian who values doctrine will separate from a ministry that is false, false concerning Christ, or false in that it is not Christ-centered. Oh, the preaching of Christ is never boring. It is the most exciting matter. And we will never grow weary of hearing the same truths repeated time and time again. Because the Christian, marked by humility, who loves true doctrine, is one who understands that they are pursuing eternal gain and not temporal riches. Unlike these false teachers, the Christian is risen with Christ, and they seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. And the true Christian, according to Colossians 3, they will set their affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Oh, it is good to work hard. It is good to pursue uh, financial gain and prosperity. But when the choice comes between financial gain or spiritual gain, the decision of the true Christian is clear. There'll be those who will always seek first Christ's kingdom. The false teacher will emphasize the gain of this world's good, the gain of prosperity, Yes, health, wealth and prosperity. The true child of God will understand that in this world they will have tribulation. They may not have health, wealth and prosperity, but they are seeking those things which are above. And so these are challenging words, interesting words that Paul gives to Timothy. And may they encourage us all in our pursuit of Christ today, and that he indeed would be all in all to our souls. Well, let me close in a word of prayer. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you, O Lord, that you love this world and you sent your Son into this world so that all who believe in him could indeed be saved. We thank you we can be saved from the bondage of sin. We can be saved from the bondage of idolatry and we can know the glorious liberty of seeking first the kingdom of God. Bless this word to all who have heard. We ask that the word of God would live and abide in every hearer. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.